Navigating the travel world doesn't have to be complicated. Whether you want to hack your points and miles, figure out where to travel next, or you just need advice on an ethical dilemma. I'm Aislinn Green, host of Unpacked by Afar. And in the brand new season, we are unpacking the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry, one conversation at a time. Topics like the sexiness of travel insurance and the perils of quote unquote bad tourism, and even the secrets to flying with children and not losing your mind in the process. Listen to Unpacked by Afar wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is a Secret Life of Canada crash course, just a little bit of history. I've become personally more and more interested in Canadian gift shops. You know, like the tourist shops that have all the, the, the weird trinkets in it. You find them at the sightseeing spots in the airport, those kind of things. And those are the ones that sell maple syrup. Yeah. You know, not quite real maple syrup, I'd say. Um, you know, um, and like magnets that you can't put anywhere because fridges aren't made of metal anymore or whatever. Yeah. What is with that? Where are we supposed to put all our ugly magnets now? I have nowhere to put those things. I don't know. I don't know. If you're coming out of a Canadian gift shop and you take a magnet with you, hopefully you've paid for it, but <laughs> when you pay for your magnet and walk out of the shop, you might have a moose magnet or a bear magnet, but actually... The most popular animal you will find in a gift shop is the beaver. Mm-hmm. The beaver is a big symbol when it comes to Canadiana. You know, there's a, there's a beaver on the nickel when we used to handle money. Ha- have those. Uh, yeah. I remember those days. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. you'll see it on like T-shirts and hats and kind of on anything that, you know, you can put it on. Yeah. And they're also obviously in our lakes and rivers. And that's why I want to talk about them today, because, because they're such a popular symbol. Uh, But they seem to be also weirdly hated by a lot of people. And I just feel like we're not realizing that they may be the key to keeping us from setting ourselves on fire. Like um, metaphorically, like emotionally. No, I mean, literally, beavers are stopping forest fires due to climate change. Oh, okay. Please explain. Okay, here it goes. So the history that beavers have with humans, and I can only give you the human version of these events because no beavers would agree to be interviewed. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they're notoriously private. That's right. And I wanted to respect that. Mm-hmm. So what we think is that before the 1500s, life was pretty good. They were living their lives. They loved cutting down trees with their big teeth. They loved making love. You know, they loved making a lot of mini beavers. There was a lot of beavers. Occasionally, First Nations people would kill them, only periodically for meat, for fur, you know. Mm -hmm. It all worked out, and everybody was pretty good with the arrangement. I mean, I'm sure the beavers didn't really like the death part, but, you know, we like, we'd put down some tobacco for them or, you know, say thank you, beaver. Thank you. Circle Mm -hmm. of life. So I, I think I know the rest of this story. May I? Please. So in 1534, Jacques Cartier, one of the first European people to show up here, gets word out to Europe that there are a lot of beavers around and that they would be good for the economy. Beaver pelts quickly became the thing to have. They were the most valuable fur in part because the pelts were waterproof. Yeah, early wicking technology. Yeah, it's soggy Brits. 
but also, you know, the top hat, um, the black top hat, it really became a fashionable item. Uh, they were made from under fur of the beaver. And estimates are that the beaver population pre-contact were about 6 million. But by the mid-1800s, the beaver was almost extinct. But they made people rich, and that's why they are found on so many things that were formed around the time of settlement. You see beavers on coats of arms and beavers on stamps and money. They're everywhere. The beaver population eventually started to rise once the fur trade became less popular. But what was still popular was human encroachment and development. More than half of the beaver ponds and marshes in North America have been destroyed. So sometimes beavers show up in human areas and cut down trees and or maybe somebody's fence to make dams. And then people get upset. But of course, we need their dams. Yes, and human dams are very different. They're made out of concrete, so they flood, and they don't do a good job of filtration. That's right. Beavers do a better job. A lot of scientists refer to them as ecosystem engineers because they have developed ways to store water and keep the water table high. They can create a pond that slowly leaks, and that's a really good thing. When there's a lot of rain and it gets really, really full, Their dams create underground little streams. You know, it's slow drip. It helps the ground when it's really dry. So year round, they maintain the water levels in an area. A concrete dam's not going to do that. Right. So they they keep the soil wet, which means in dry areas uh, or droughts, the ground is less likely to be affected. You got it. I found one case that showed that during a really terrible drought in 1996, only the farmer with the beaver ponds on his property had water for irrigation. Everyone else's crops died. So how are they helping with fires? We've seen so many in the last couple of years. So what are the beavers doing? Well, they clear out the dead brush, which is very flammable. So that's the first thing. Scientists have studied these fires and found that there are what they call green zones, areas that remain pretty green despite the fires raging around them. Those green zones all have one thing in common, beaver dams. And there, there's been this video from the 50s or 60s circulating around the internet of beavers in parachutes. <laughs> Look it up. It's super fun. Being sent into areas by U.S. wildlife officials with the goal to populate them and bring them back into the ecosystem. Yeah, I've seen that. It feels like every 20 or 30 years, people realize, oh, no, we, we need beavers to help the environment that we changed when we moved them all or killed them all. They have been known to enter a really unhealthy ecosystem and like in a matter of months, they bring back vegetation. Other wildlife arrives. Fish show up. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's like they are the hosts of like the nature party and they're <laughs> holding the fishbowl full of nature keys and everybody. <laughs> Sorry, I went somewhere else with this. But it's like, you know, it's like they, 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 they. <laughs> Uh, this analogy is probably not working anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's good. I know what you're saying. They hold the key. They hold the key to to our ecosystem. You know, the largest beaver dam can be seen from Google Earth. It's in the Wood Buffalo National Park in Alberta. Parks Canada says that the front end of the dam is about the length of seven football fields. It contains about 70,000 cubic meters of water. And they think that it's so big because it's the work of multiple generations of beavers working on this one 
project, and I really like that. We need a lot more multi-generational beaver families to come to our <laughs> rescue if, if we are gonna keep going. I respect the beaver a lot, but I have to say, I will have beaver tails when they're offered to me. Oh, yes, of course. The cinnamon sugar, the fried dough of mm -hmm. it all. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's actually a delicious tribute to the beaver, I think. I agree. <laughs> For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.